everybody. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. Happy Scary Movie Month. My name is Patrick Bromley, joined for this very special Scary Movie Month podcast by Scary Adam Risky. This is part of my Amish week off. <laughs> Rumspringer. Rumspringer. <laughs> See? Bringing it back. All Bringing I do it is back. Rum a zoom zoom. From the Predator 2 show. Uh, we are going to be talking about Tales from the Hood 2 uh, on this very special episode of the podcast. It is a movie that just came out today, the day we're recording this, or uh, yesterday, if you're listening to this, the day that this podcast drops. So we have not lived with this movie for very long. Bear with us. We will talk about it spoiler-free for a few minutes, assuming not many of you have seen it yet, and then we will get into spoilers. I think we should also explain the premise of the segments, too, because otherwise, maybe... In the in the non-spoiler? In the non-spoiler, okay. because maybe people won't be able to contextualize what we're talking about. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm into it. Uh, anyway, uh, Scary Movie Month, we're we're only two days in at this point, but it's, mm-hmm. it's going good so far. I'm having fun. We've had lots of seven-word reviews. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. let's uh, read some of our favorites now. So if you're new to F This Movie or Scary Movie Month or the Scary Movie Challenge, uh, every time you watch a horror movie in October, go to fthismovie.com. And write a seven-word review. You can click on the Scary Movie Challenge 2018 tab at the top of the page. You can find directions there. Uh, But we're going to read some of our favorite seven-word reviews as we do on every show that we do in October. Uh, Adam, you're the guest. You go first. Okay. Uh, Marcus Killer B of Raw Raw Mate. Raw Mate. Raw Mate. Uh, Raw Meat, a.k.a. Deathline. Despite repellent unpleasance, excellent pleasance performance, please. <laughs> oh, we got props, kid. <laughs> uh, Thor Jensen of The Incubus, a great Monty Python reference. Sperm, egg, sperm, sperm, bacon, and sperm. <laughs> Just tell me when that gets old. Never. Uh, John Hillman of Freaks. 1930 circuses had lax requirements for strong men. I had that one too because. Go ahead. <laughs> it is a great observation about freaks. Yeah, it's it gives you. It's like when you see like a five foot six baseball player, and you're like, anybody can do this. <laughs> John Hillman of um, Macabre from 1980. That's where I keep my wife's head. <laughs> Okay, that's enough of that. Um, Jonathan Mills of... This might be my favorite so far. Jonathan Jonathan Mills of Haunters, the Art of the Scare. Rex Ryan doesn't believe in safe words. (laughs) Um, Mac McIntyre of Death Spa. And I liked this one because it was a reference to our commentary, which is available at fthismovie.com. Here's my homage to seven-word reviews. Uh, Daniel Epler for Pumpkinhead 2 Blood Wings. Probably the dumbest subtitle since Dawn of Justice. <laughs> Jay, this is one of my favorites. Our friend JP, Josh Perlman of Hereditary. Turns out walnuts do not help headaches. <laughs> I've got one for Hereditary also. Uh, Chandler Jackson. House party? Break out the walnut cake. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Oh, so many walnut references. Uh, another death spa from Scott Jack. 
Alexa, loosen the pool diving board screw. That's literally the one I'm looking at right now. Nice. So I will swap over to Michael Pomero for Blair Witch 2016. <laughs> this movie is intense. Nailed it. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that. Um, Aaron Keith of Black Christmas. Olivia Hussey is dressed like a minion. <laughs> I had that one too. <laughs> I'll never be able to watch that the same. Um... I haven't seen this movie, but this was so funny. Tom S. Tex for Ruin Me. So many twists, even Chubby Checker is exhausted. Brett Cullum of Halloween. Best babysitter killer for 40 years running. <laughs> uh, JP, Death Spa, Foray, Struts, and Party City's finest jacket. So many commentary references. Mm -hmm. uh, I have one more Death Spa. Not a commentary reference. Blaine Higby. Wait. That's why we wired the showers. <laughs> I've got two more. I have a death spa one. Okay. So, um, Lindsay Wilkins, this commentary gives us 20% more podcasts. Very nice. Very nice. And then I'll close this out with. Wait, I have one more. Time. Oh, go ahead. Uh, a movie I haven't seen, Grave from 2016. This comes from C. Doran. Jacques, gnaw me like your French girls. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> what was that? Was that today? Or that was today. Okay. Yeah. It's good. Amazing. It's good. Um, Eric Ashberg-Schlager <laughs> for like Signs. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no problem. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. What time was that at? I don't know. I don't need to. I, I don't need to know. Uh, signs. Uh, Mel Gibson hates aliens too. Big surprise. Ah, <laughs> very nice. Yes. Someone even uh, commented underneath that. That has to be read on the podcast. So I hope you're happy. Mm. Given the people what they want for. Five minutes and 55 seconds. Six minutes. Adam <laughs> Risky. Yeah. Have you seen anything scary lately? Yeah, boy. Um, I, <laughs> I've seen seven movies so far in Scary Movie Month. Very nice. There's two I won't talk about okay. right now. One is because it's Tales of Halloween, and everybody knows that's good. Right. And that's how I kicked off my month. And the other one is Tales from the Hood 2, which we're going to be talking in copious amounts. That's about. right. So um, I, the second movie I watched was a repeat viewing of Hellfest. Oh, yeah. At 11 a.m. in the morning on a Monday. Good Lord. There were two walkouts. <laughs> For real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one guy made it to like 90 minutes in and then walked out. Just didn't care to see how Just this wraps not. up care at all wow yeah i think those last five minutes would have really turned them around perhaps um i love this movie i just think <laughs> i it's need to see it so much fun and it's like walking through a haunted house and watching a horror movie at yeah. the same time and i would think that that would get kind of tedious because it's so much of that but the production design and the filmmaking are so energetic and just uh, in comparison with tonight's feature that we're talking about, it just looks like such a movie mm. um, that it really, I don't know. It's something I know I'm going to just watch many, many times. Oh, if man. it came out in the 90s, I would be clamoring for a Scream Factory collector's <laughs> edition <laughs> of Hellfest. You, you still should. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, it's... I, I was expecting it to be... I said this in the thing I wrote already, um, but... Whatever. Now you don't have to read the review. Um, it, it's. I was expecting it to be kind of tongue in cheek, fun, like a wish upon right, or right, Slenderman right. or something right. like that. But no, bye I bye was man. like, 
this is just good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think everybody should watch it because it's not doing that well in theaters. I know. It's so weird because it was like so on your radar yeah. and not on anyone else's. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> even the blurb, I was like, hey, Adam wants you to know there's a movie out that you should sit. Like nobody even knows that this movie exists. Yeah. Yeah. I But I know everything. Like, I know that at Six Flags they have Hellfest mazes now through October 31st. Which is like, I can't go when they made Waterworld merchandise, they're like, this is going to catch on, right? Yeah. Oh, should we got to follow through on the Hellfest maze, even though the movie tanked? I can't wait to go there, and hopefully there's like some kind of merch. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be all over really. the, I'm going to be all over the merch. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. What else? Um, and then... I revisited Night of the Living Dead 1990 okay. to celebrate the anniversary of Night of the Living Dead 1968, <laughs> which it was just a coincidence that that happened. Um, I never really liked the 1990 version, but okay. this time I kind of did. Yeah. It was weird. Um, I don't really love what Tom Tolles, may he rest in peace, is doing in that movie. Um, I think it's a little bit like... He's going zero to 60 right. immediately, right. and it needs to be parsed a little bit more. But um, I don't know. I, I, I like, whereas I think my complaint earlier would be like, oh, it's not hardcore enough. Now I kind of like the restraint of it. It's interesting and moody, and I like the music. And um, it's just, uh, it could have gone so much m more wrong. Sure. That while I was watching it, it gave me a lot to appreciate and Obviously, like, you know, the we're there, them, they're us thing is a little <laughs> bit much. Um, Just wait if you want to talk on the nose. <laughs> We're yeah. going to be talking about uh, ta uh, Tales from the Hood 2 in just a little bit. Yeah, but uh, no, I, what, what do you think of that movie? I'm probably in the same camp. Like, okay. I think it's okay. I think it's better than I expect it to be. I don't love it. I don't think it's quite different enough mm -hmm. to, like really stand out on its own yeah obviously it takes some departures in like the third act uh but for the most part it's pretty similar mm -hmm. um and yeah i they cut a lot of the gore out yeah. apparently i would be while i agree with you that like i don't mind that it's not super super violent mm -hmm. i would be interested to see that version because oh, yeah, if you have tom too. savini directing and you know um directing those effects that becomes its sort of reason for existing. Yeah. I was surprised that he had to remove that because who says things like remove things to Tom Savini? Because yeah. he's supposed to be very scary in real life. Yeah, right. So, I don't know. I, I remember that movie played at the mall when I went to see Mr. Destiny. <laughs> and I saw the poster for Night of the Living Dead and I saw people walking into it. And yeah. that's the movie I wanted to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, there's going to be sheer carnage in there. <laughs> and then I had to go see my carnage, Jim Mr. Belushi Destiny, yeah. and Mr. Destiny. Yeah. Which is maybe one of his better movies. It's not his worst. No. No. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll save that conversation for November. When we do all Belushi. Belush, Belush, Vember. Yeah, yeah. Um, reserve seating. I like it. Goes sidecar. <laughs> All Belushi. Um, and then uh, I watched the Monster Club for the first time. Okay. And I was I, I went in with low expectations just because it's not the movie that most people talk about when they talk about Vincent Price movies. Um, it usually kind of ends with his seventies stuff. And I found myself really enjoying it. Okay. Um, I thought it was very quirky, and uh, I liked uh, so 
like at first I was not crazy about the music interstitials, like the performances, but then they have like this I'm a stripper song and there's like a cartoon skeleton and I'm like, this is like watching the Forbidden Zone. I really like this. Uh, and then it was one of those movies where I more and more as it went along, I was on board with it. Okay. And now, now I think it's, um, you know, granted it still stays on Amazon Prime for a while. I'll probably go back to it in later years. Okay. Um, Jonathan James, the uh, owner of DailyDead.com and yeah. one of the hosts of Corpse Club recently... <laughs> opened up to the fact that he's been putting it on the monster club on in the background like while working oh i heard this yeah and like i heard that episode watches it multiple times a day (laughs) he just always has the monster club on which i'm fascinated by that's awesome yeah yeah i don't think i could do it but no more power to you jonathan yeah yeah yeah. um and then i watched uh phantom of the opera 1989 (gasps) that was directed by your boy oh there it is yeah um, I Dwight H. Little, <laughs> you my boy. There you go. Um, I was supposed to watch this last year. It was on my list of ten movies I will see for the first time in October, but it did not make the cut. Um, I I don't know. It's uh, not good. Um, I like Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Like I, I kind of realized this time how much music is tied into yeah. my enjoyment of the story. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was bad. I think it's yeah. a beautiful looking movie. Yeah. Um, it's got an interesting backstory of how this was supposed to be like offshoot of canon. It was like 21st century right. entertainment. Right. And was it Golan or Golan? Um, I one of the two. think it was Golan. It was Golan who like sunk so much resources into this movie and banking on it being a hit um, that it kind of stunted development of other projects and he had to sell them to other distributors um instead of them being 21st century entertainment label movies um i uh it's fascinating that it exists (laughs) like the people who were robert england fans at the time you might be asking them to go out of their comfort zone too much of saying like we want to do this phantom of the opera thing which became more of a thing like in the early 90s with Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But I feel like even those movies were more mainstream than just for horror audiences. Yeah, for sure. But for some reason, like, Phantom of the Opera doesn't shy away from, like, the gore elements. So it's like, I don't think a mainstream audience would it would like this Right. version at all no it's kind of a movie for no one because yeah. i remember in 1989 when it came out the whole thing was like hey you know that you guys know that guy that plays freddy he's doing like high art now mm-hmm. we're gonna watch him really stretch and do this classical story um but then you see it and it's like oh they kind of made the phantom into freddy krueger and it's real gory and yeah. it's so it it promises something to one audience mm-hmm. so that the horror fans kind of ignore it and then when that audience goes to it it's made just for horror fans. Yeah, I I kind of wish that they just did it all 80s cuz they had the framing device right. being that it was in the 80s right. and I think like updating Phantom of the Opera for the 1980s could have been more interesting than what, the movie you're talking about is is Phantom of the Mall. There's a movie called Eric's Revenge. Yes. What? Yes, it came out in the 80s. Pauly Shore is in it. Oh, that's um, why I haven't seen it. It's, a, it's before he was famous. Okay. It was a Pauly Shore, an early Pauly Shore Oh, it's not his vehicle. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. No, right. it's a horror movie. Phantom of the Mall, okay. Eric's Revenge. 
I will watch that with Phantom of the Megaplex. It's hard. It's a little hard to come by. I think it's. I don't know if it ever got a. I will just watch Phantom a of the DVD Megaplex. release. I've never seen Phantom of the Megaplex. Okay. I have seen Phantom of the Mall. Well, Eric's Revenge. That ends this episode's <laughs> Sholintel. <laughs> I love Sholintel. Um, I like that Phantom of the Opera. I know what it is, but I still like it. Yeah, I I didn't dislike it. It's like two and a half. Yeah, four. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's fair. And then uh, after watching Tales from the Hood two, I watched an American Werewolf in Paris. Oh wow! Yeah, what that, a day you had. <laughs> that showed up on Amazon Prime on October first. Yeah, and I, for whatever reason, have been jonesing to rewatch an American Werewolf in Paris. Oh boy! Because it was the first time I'd seen it since ninety seven, um, and I had a lot of thoughts about it. I love an American Werewolf in London. Yeah, love it. Of course. American Werewolf in Paris is not as good. Uh, that it, correct. It's a better American Werewolf movie than The Mummy 2017. Uh, okay. I will I'll give you there. that. Yeah, I'll give you that. It has a great soundtrack. Sure. Uh, Bush is on it, I know. Because I, I remember them advertising the movie with the Bush song as though there was another, no other way yeah. you could hear Machine Head. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, good. It was Mouth. Oh shoot, mouth! Okay. But it was Machine like a Head remix. Was in fear. Got it. Yeah. Which they also did, like featuring the song "Machine Head" by Bush. Like, I could just hear that on the radio. Why yeah. am I going to see Fear? Yeah. What a weird way to sell a movie. I um, I looked up an American Werewolf in Paris on IMDb trivia, yeah. and they have two golden nuggets on there. Okay, one is that this is in spoilers. All right, <laughs> this is literally how it's written. Bushmouth is the song when Andy and Amy are making out in the cemetery. Uh-huh. One out of two found this interesting. <laughs> I like how they're just like, you know, Bushmouth. <laughs> Nothing hurts like Bushmouth. I want to know the person who clicked on, yes, this is interesting. And I want to know the person who walked away from it. And this one I don't buy. It says, despite the poor reviews, the film gained a strong cult following nope. over the years. No, it did not. We know everything about horror people. It did and not. No, it never did. <laughs> Two out of four found it. It did not. Um, I saw that movie opening weekend. Okay. Be- opening day. It came out on Christmas Day. Uh, then I saw it opening weekend. Okay. <laughs> not yeah. opening day. Uh, because I was such a Tom Everett Scott fan. He's great. Residual love from that thing you do. So mm-hmm. I thought, what? This guy that I love in that movie that I love is in a horror movie, mm-hmm. which is the sequel to that other movie I love. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, and the movie's not very good. No. Um, it's, Good special effects. What? <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of like a bad-ish retelling of yeah. an American world in London, yeah. but with the worst effects. Yeah, but to be fair, we've never seen a werewolf. That might be what they look like. <laughs> it's not that I have Rick a problem Baker with the werewolf design. <laughs> it's just that everything was done uh, with CG and... Uh, not only does that not work when the CG is mm-hmm. state of the art, yeah, it definitely doesn't work when the CG was done in 1997. Yes. What if I were to say this is the only misfire of Hollywood pictures? <laughs> <laughs> Having said all that, An American Werewolf in Paris was like one of the first five DVDs I ever bought. Wow. It's not like they came free with your player. <laughs> no. You I... I bought Boogie Nights. That was my first DVD before I even bought the player. Mm -hmm. I was like, I know I'm going to buy a DVD player eventually. I want to own Boogie Nights. Mm -hmm. So I just held on to that probably for months Mm -hmm. until I got the player. Then I got the player. The Saturday that I got the player, I went out to Tower Records Mm -hmm. 
and I bought Dark City, Reality Bites, mm-hmm. The Zero Effect, mm-hmm. and American Werewolf in Paris. Wow. <laughs> Those were my first five One of these things is not like the other. I don't know. I don't Actually, know what I was doing. Well, Reality Bites. Reality Bites? Why? 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 Um, why was I like, I got to have that? I'm trying to think back of what I owned first. I had uh, The Matrix was the first one. Okay. Army of Darkness. Uh-huh. Run, Lola, Run. Uh-huh. American Pie. Okay. And Pink Floyd, The Wall. Interesting. That was one Were of you those in college? <laughs> no, I was like senior in high school. All right. Well, that's fine. Yeah. I remember I had- Same uh, diff. I had uh, my girlfriend junior year over, or maybe a senior year, and she- was real kissy face with me at the time and i turned her so i could watch the matrix while she was kissing me best of both worlds yeah and i was just like i'm the one today (laughs) (laughs) everything you saw was in code yep and that concludes my what have i seen lately I watched a bunch of horror movies before October 1st. Yeah. Because I'm smart. There you go. Um, but beginning October 1st, the first movie I watched, so I had to stay up till midnight so mm-hmm. I could change everything over on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, midnight hits, I'm like, well, I should put something on while I'm working. Mm-hmm. Too lazy to go down in the basement and pull off a disc. So let's just click over to Shutter, see what's there. Oh, Creep Show 2 play. Um,. So I don't know why Creepshow 2 was my first movie of Scary Movie Month. Yeah. I never feel differently about Creepshow 2. Like, I find it comforting to have on. Mm-hmm. And I recently bought the score, and so I've listened to the score a lot. Is that John Harrison also? I honestly don't know. Okay. I don't think that it is, actually. Okay. Um, but the movie is always, like, just kind of Okay. I like two of the three of the stories. I like them enough. Yeah. I still don't think they hold a candle to almost anything in the original Creep Show. But I like them enough. Yeah. You know, if yeah. it was a different if it had a different title, I would probably be so much more like affectionate towards it if it wasn't called the Creep Show. Yeah. But it just it's not quite deserving of the name Creep Show. But it's fine. Like I like having it on. Maybe that's what helps Tales from the Dark Side. Maybe, yeah. Because that's the unofficial Creep right. Show 3. Right, right. Yeah. I've seen the official Creep Show 3. I have not. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I watched several things mm-hmm. Halloween 4, Bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night, I rewatched Cult of Chucky, mm-hmm. which I really like. Was that the last one or that the second the last, last one? That was the last one. Okay. Yeah. Second to last is Curse. Okay. Cult I is... I can't keep them straight. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a fan of this series, mm-hmm. with the exception of three, Child's Play 3. Okay. Not a fan of I haven't seen Seed. Should I see Seed? Seed is a mixed bag. Okay. Uh, um, it has its fans. Heather's a big fan. Yeah. I'm less of a fan, but I think there's stuff in it that's really cool. Is she a fan, or is she like a Scream 3 fan of um, I mean, she genuinely really loves it. Okay. But, I mean, it's more of a Scream 3 situation where it's mm. like, no one else likes this. It's only you. But, I gotcha. Um, but she is a ge- she genuinely loves it. Yeah. I feel like I need to finish it off and that series off. Cause yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen all the other ones, and I like 1, 2. Bride is not as good as it used to be for no, me. No, no. And I like Curse. Didn't really like three or cult. You didn't like cult, no, but I did monster. watch. I watched cult on my laptop in Hawaii last year. Mm. That's not the way to watch not cult. the way to watch cult. No. Mm-mm. Um. 
I just think it's going in such crazy directions yeah. that I just I'm fascinated by it. Sorry, Hawaiians. Yeah, you have no other way to watch it. <laughs> uh, yesterday, I also rewatched Gravy from mm. 2015, which was like not a Scream Factory original, but a movie that was only put out by Scream Factory. Like okay. it was a pickup for them because I think their only original so far is Fender Bender. It sounds right. But this was a pickup for them. It's written and directed by James Roday of psych fame and i know he's a big horror fan he's talking head in a couple different horror documentaries the movie is like i like it ultimately i come down on the side of liking it but there's so many things in it that make me crazy Mm -hmm. um it's essentially about a a restaurant where a couple people break in and it's all actors that you like it's it's uh michael Weston, I think, is his name. Who you know? He's like, oh, he was in those like, Zach Braff movies. Yeah, he's yeah. like Charlie Day, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh my gosh, Jimmy Simpson. Oh yeah, from everything. Yeah, um, he was in Loser, right? And exactly. The, and that OJ <laughs> exactly. show that was on USA, or not OJ show, the um, Tupac Biggie show that was on USA. There was a Tupac was, Biggie show on USA. I watched one episode of it. I didn't even know there was a series. They were like, "We're going to tell you what really happened," and then I'm like, "I could just read this." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of people in it that I like. Uh, Sutton Foster is the lead and Gabourey Sidibe is mm-hmm. in it and whatever. Um, so it's a whole like cannibalism thing. It's super gory, which is, but it's a horror comedy. It's just that it's, it's like so manic at times. There's like hmm. sound effects, like slide whistles and like boing. And it's like, just chill out. Just tell the story. Let the jokes try to land. It doesn't have to be this, like, Looney Tunes bullshit. Is it like cooties? It sounds like cooties. Uh, maybe. Okay. It calms down, like, after about halfway. Okay. It starts to get rid of that shit, and it kind of just tells the story. And actually, there are some scenes that you're like, oh, I'm surprised at how sort of involved I am mm-hmm. in this. Um, so I, I come down on the side of liking it. A movie I cannot come down on the side of liking is a movie I revisited today, 1992's. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Um, Inspired to revisit it because today's episode of We Hate Movies Mm -hmm. covers Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Um, I I have had arguments with people that argue that this is a good movie. I cannot get behind that. I understand where somebody might have fun with it. Mm -hmm. I understand that some of the effects are cool anthony hickox clearly loves his gore Mm -hmm. but it is so profoundly stupid um i i just i don't think i have a use for any hellraiser movie after part two those are two pretty good ones yeah i mean the first one especially is like so adult and like classy even though it's like sleazy and gory and it's like classy and this one the Cenobites are doing one-liners, yeah, and like they have camera heads and CD CDs. faces. Yeah, I remember the CDs, and I remember Pinhead like shows up in like a S and M club. Yeah, at one point he's like standing in a field. I was like, well, this does not seem right. <laughs> like I'm not used to seeing yeah. Pinhead in natural daylight. Yeah, I watched three for the first time last October, yeah. and yeah, it didn't really cook for me. I it is. I think I'm gonna keep going though. I'm gonna watch four. You're a brave man. Yeah, I got I I paid um like five dollars at Flashback Weekend for a disc that's got like the next eight Hellraiser movies yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. 
So I feel like I owe it the 25 cents or whatever per movie. Spread them out. Don't watch them all in one month. Oh, no. I like This is my thing of like going one new Hellraiser per year. Oh, okay. So this is my appointment. Got it. Well, they keep making them, though. So the finish line keeps getting further and further away. That's okay. It extends my life. Oh, all right. (laughs) So so that's it for me. Yeah. Tales from the Hood 2. Yeah. Where do you want to begin? Um, do you want to talk about like our history with the first one, our anticipation level, or just dive right in? I mean, we've done a podcast on yeah. the first one. Yeah. I think if you listen to this show, you know that we are big fans of it. Yes. Uh, when they announced the second one, it was like, hey, cool, I think. like mm-hmm. You get immediately excited about right. it. That's your first reaction. But at the same time, yeah. there's that. Uh, you're sort of tentative where it's like, but how? Yeah. But it's how? been so long. Right. And, and the first yeah. one was like a cult hit kind of later on. I yeah. don't think it made a bunch of money at the time. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you're like, oh, absolutely. This is the right time to make a sequel to that movie because yeah. there's so many things you could address. But also how? Um, and then didn't hear much. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's done. It's It's showing at... Fantasia. Fest. Fantasia. Yeah. And it got decent reviews out of Fantasia. Mm-hmm. So that kind of got me excited. But watching the trailer, it looked like some direct to video, not very. It was. The trailer was disheartening. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I mean, I don't want to seem mean um, in the sense that. I'm picking on the movie that had low budget and resources, but it really affected my enjoyment of it a lot. Well, I think it's it's such a an, a, a great example of like where we're at in terms of low budget. Mm-hmm. In this case, horror movies, any low budget movie, but yeah. low budget horror. It's not like the original Tales from the Hood was super expensive. No, but it, but it was it looked like a movie. Yeah, this this one, um, okay, it sort of tempered my criticism of it where I'm just like, I don't really want to go. Because I know that they made this for less money, like not even like adjusted for inflation. Right, like right. they made it for less money than Absolutely. they got in 95 for right. the original Tales right. from the Hood. Um, but then again, I mean, you hear all the time like James Wan made Insidious for a million dollars. And that looks like a... 20 million dollar movie yeah and i'm not forcing that on darren scott and rusty cundiff but at the same time this looks like rusty cundiff when he directed the Chappelle show it looks like Chappelle show skits it doesn't look like like one thing that's really important to the first movie is atmosphere yes and this movie has zero atmosphere zero and this movie is mostly shot in blinding daylight yes and there's just it seems like a comedy more than a horror movie and it would be bad cinematography for a comedy yeah um because it's so flat it's shot digitally so there's just no texture to it at all it's all way too bright it's in these big open spaces but you only have three people occupying a frame at Mm -hmm. any given time I they're mean, it, constantly like spinning camera, trying just to move the camera, trying to right. do something with it. And yeah. so this is, I mean, the whole time I'm watching it, I was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> because I know that we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to pick on it because mm-hmm. I know that like Darren Scott and Rusty Cundiff 
we're trying, you yeah. know, and like I have such goodwill towards them and towards the original movie and towards what I think they wanted to do with this movie, but I just don't think they ever come close to executing with the exception of maybe the last segment, which mm-hmm. I didn't particularly like, yeah. but I think it's the one that comes closest to being successful. Yeah, Rob and I were texting back and forth a little bit about this today. He didn't watch it yet, but I was mentioning that the last segment is the one where I was a little bit more involved mm-hmm. and I was excited to talk about it, whereas the other ones I'm less excited to talk about. Sure. I felt like there's a conversation to be had, especially about the last one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm with you in the sense that I don't want to change overnight into the person who was so on team Rusty Cundiff and Darren yeah. Scott and then now not or overemphasizing how much I disliked this movie, which is a lot. I really did not like this movie to the point where I want to pretend like it doesn't exist in a way yeah yeah um so i don't want to seem unkind to those two guys because they made one of my all-time favorite horror movies this is one of the worst horror sequels (laughs) i've ever seen it's just a movie that maybe shouldn't have happened because of the limitations like again I think there are things that they could have talked about in a Tales from the Hood sequel in 2018. Yeah. I don't think they really do. I don't even think the scripts that they come up with yeah. uh, address a lot of what's happening in a smart way. There's one segment, which we'll get into, that doesn't even have any social commentary nope. at all. Nope. I I kept waiting for the it. The medium are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wrote that down as a no. I'm just like, what is the, the message? It's not even a good... Uh, tales from the crypt you know no the last one i will say i I don't love it as an anthology segment and the movie certainly follows the template of the original in that the last segment is kind of the serious one yeah um i i don't love it as an anthology segment but it's like an okay twilight zone thank you because that is exactly what i wrote down it was like yeah this is a full twilight zone episode. yeah 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 um it's it's the most similar to like the vic morrow segment of twilight zone the movie um, with kind of like an alternate reality, um, but yeah, this uh, yeah this movie is um, it's. I'm tired of certain things that are happening in the world right now, and this movie doubles down on a lot of those <laughs> things. There's a lot of social things to speak of regarding kind of where our culture and country are right now, mm-hmm. and this movie attempts some of them. But it's there's a line in the first segment where he the guy quotes Marshall McLuhan saying the medium is the message. In this case, if the media the medium is so annoying in its portrayal of what is wrong, yeah, that that's all I can focus on. Okay, and that and I'm talking most specifically about the framing device um, and the characters involved in that. So, I don't know, maybe we could start by just, like, explaining kind yeah. of, like, what these segments are. So, so. that I would argue that the movie is ill-conceived from the get-go. Yeah. Because, again, the framing device of the original film is that these three gang members wander into, like, a funeral parlor. Yeah. Where, owned by Clarence Williams, and he's sort of the, he tells them these 
cautionary tales and he's sort of the crypt keeper and you have this amazing set design mm-hmm. and you have you know uh, there's a feeling of we stepped into something yeah it's very much an homage to amicus right yeah right and this <laughs> is like we don't step into something we bring him out into the world yeah into like what looks like an airplane hangar yeah to tell stories to a robot to a robot so that patriot bot can identify would be criminals the framing device reminded me like of the worst rob cordery stuff in harold and kumar escape from guantanamo Bay. yeah that's not far off yeah this so yeah the framing device is sims who was played by clarence williams the third now played by keith david who's a fine replacement he's fine yeah he's I not think, clarence williams but like if you're not going to get clarence williams i think keith david does okay yeah yeah i mean like the stuff that is wrong with sims in this movie are not his fault correct um so he is brought in in this really contrived setup that goes on real long time like it's almost longer cumulatively than like one of the se- than a couple of the segments maybe and this idea that like he's this renowned storyteller yeah like no he owned a funeral parlor and the whole appeal was like you accidentally wandered into it and if you didn't you wouldn't even know it was there it might not even be like a real funeral exactly it might just be something that kind of was an apparition right you never would have seen it right exactly so to suggest that he has some minor celebrity yeah so he goes he's talking to um what is the guy even like a, a business yeah, his name is Dumas Beach, and they... Keep... I didn't get the beach, by the way. Did you really? Not? I didn't get the beach, oh, wow. no. I got okay. the dumbass. I was like, okay, dumbass. There, his, it's called Dumas Beach Industries, and you have to wait about 105 <laughs> minutes for somebody to call out that it's dumbass bitch. But then it has to be corrected. This, I guess, is technically a spoiler. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Uh, but then someone has to say, no, it's Dumas Beach, in case you thought he was just calling him a dumbass bitch and yeah. not doing a play on his name. Yeah. So um, Dumas- that's the movie in a nutshell, by the way. <laughs> so Dumas Beach is this, I guess, industrialist who he's, like a Tony Stark, but like he's Trump, he, but he's Trump. He's, he's Trump. He's right. a Trump standard. Right. And um, and he wants he has this thing called a patriot a robo patriot robo patriot i called him patriot bot yeah how embarrassing no i'm sorry yeah he's basically like the danny devito to arnold schwarzenegger's chappie like like this movie's special effects make like me want to apologize to the general car insurance commercials like like the CGI fire effects in this movie oh. are so bad that oh. like Dwayne Johnson's probably calling the company right now to like put them <laughs> on on standby for his next movie. Um, <sighs> so Sims has to tell P- Robo Patriot these stories to give him to give the robot firsthand and secondhand knowledge of crime and social situations so that the robot can basically be Judge Dredd. And like dole out right, crime, right? Punishment up to execution, right? Um, and then or that's Robo the frame. Or, yeah, or Robocop or Robocop at two hundred nine. Yeah, so that's the framing device. Everybody around 
Dumas Beach are yes men, you know, the they're the Corey Lewandowski types right. that just are horrible people too. And um the first story is about um these ignorant millennials who pretend like they it's like they know about all the racism that was going on with this with slavery but they see it at an ironic distance and they go to a museum that has a lot of racist memorabilia mm-hmm. and the owner of this museum um kind of shows them around because these girls are just wandering around acting ignorant about everything and one of the girls the the white woman there's a white woman and a black woman the white woman wants to purchase a racist raggedy ann type doll um and she it's something that she collected with her grandmother and then the owner says no you can't have it and then they come back later in the night to steal it and mayhem ensues and that's the the story. So what what did you think of the first one? Well, <laughs> um, on this one's called good golly, right? And it's the only one that Keith David introduces by name by and name. looks into the camera and, and then says, I call this again. one good golly. And then never does it again. Never again. Yeah. Um, I thought there were a few things in this that were interesting. I think this one came closer to something that I might like. Mm hmm. I could never quite wrap my head around the central conceit of the segment, which is that this sort of white sorority girl Mm -hmm. collected racist stuff with her grandmother and and now has nostalgia for it, not because it's racist, but just because it was something that she grew up on um, and so is willing to pay $800 for it Mm -hmm. and wants to steal it. I mean, it's just a weird way of getting into the what it's trying to say. Yeah. It's kind of creep show two ish. Like the old yeah, head yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 At the same time, um, there were, there's two things I like in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe three things. One, this is the only one that has any like gore. Yeah. Two, we get a cameo from the, uh, little doll from tales from the hood one from the Corbin Burns. Right. Segment. So I, that I perked up. I was yeah. like, Oh neat. Okay. I wonder if there's going to be a few callbacks. Nope. That was it. And I also liked fake Morgan Freeman um, until he, the end of the segment okay. when he's playing a different character. Yeah, I, I I liked him and I thought what he was saying was mm. really interesting. It's not anything new, yeah. but just the way that he talks about um, the creation of these artifacts as a way of perpetuating these horrifying myths about black people mm-hmm. that it it became – sort of a second wave of slavery. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. It, mm-hmm. Again, the movie has zero, like, I don't want to say subtext because it's not like the original has a lot of subtext, but mm-hmm. the original tales from the hood tells you a story mm-hmm. and then you're able to pull out stuff from it, yeah. you know? Um, and this movie doesn't, this movie literally just puts it in the dialogue and has characters explain the subtext to each other. Yeah. It's almost like you could, pull out a better story out of the monologues that they're giving. Right. Like the, cause I agree with you, like the actor who plays the, uh, the museum owner is really good. He's almost like a better Sims than Keith yep. David. Yeah. Um, and he's just, you know, he's just a serious guy at the beginning, but the stuff that he's saying 
is, like you said, I mean, it's not anything that a lot of people haven't heard before, but um, in a movie that stops cold for monologues, Mm -hmm. especially in the first segment and the fourth one, this was among the most interesting, and a lot of that had to do with how it was delivered. Um, And then it gets, like, after that first opening scene, then it kind of gets into the more kind of crazy aspects of it and i kind of thought it was interesting like how nuts it went but again especially in 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 retrospect when you consider the other segments yes it's like well this one at least was weird yeah yeah (laughs) on the whole i like the rusty cundiff segments more than the darren scott segment i did too and i didn't realize that until the credits not counting the framing right but yeah when i was watching the credits i thought oh okay i get you know and darren scott isn't a director he took not as experienced a director did he really i didn't realize he did caught up yeah i've never seen caught up is it i haven't either okay i want to see it it has a great trailer okay it's like the narrator of the trailer basically turns into the devil as the trailer goes on. Nice. And he's just like, Bucky Woodbine. Didn't he de- do um, Deep Blue Sea 2? Yeah, I didn't see it. So as you were talking just now, yeah. I was like, oh, better movie. Mm-hmm. Get rid of Robo Patriot. Get rid of fake Trump. Get rid of Sims. Mm-hmm. This is your framing device. Yeah. This guy is your oh new. God, he's yeah. not Sims. Yeah. He's just another guy. Yeah. Who's there to tell stories. Mm-hmm. They pick up an artifact. Oh, here's an interesting story about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, again, teaching a different audience a lesson, right? Because yeah. in the original, it's like, watch out, you young black kids. Like, this is what the future has for you if you don't clean up your act. Yeah. And this is, hey, ignorant these millennials. Are, these are the Obama's president. Everything's right. fine. Right. Hey, ignorant millennials, this is, you know, what we live with. Yeah. Uh, Better movie. Yeah. Better movie. I feel like the first movie amongst a lot of things that did better, I think one of the things that specifically did better is it found a way to mix the monologues with dramatizing things around it. So, like, if you look at um, Hardcore Convert, which was the one that closed the first movie, a lot of speechifying but it also did all that Clockwork Orange stuff. Right. And it was very visually impactful just as much as what they were saying. And I felt like that's what you need to... That's what the takeaway should have been. And the first segment in the original, yeah. which is maybe my favorite about really the, with, good, the, with yeah. the cops, it's like you can just watch it as the story of these racist cops. And you have the other cop who's having this crisis of conscience. Mm-hmm. And what do I do? And this guy has been murdered. And like you could just watch it on a story level. Yeah. And then you can pull out... Okay, here's what it's saying about the LAPD at the time, and here's what it's saying about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it dramatizes, like you said, the ideas. Yeah. And this movie does not. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, like, I think the best thing about this first segment is the the performance that we mentioned. Yeah. Of the guy, I, I need to look up his name because I feel bad just saying, you know, the guy who played the museum owner. Um, and then um, the uh, there's certain effects that are so lo-fi that they kind of are amusing sure um and i think the ending is like in a like it reminded me of like when i was watching holidays and there's like the easter segment and you're just like geez this got real dark and um that kind of in retrospect looking back on the movie was admirable in comparison to the lesser yeah again we can't talk about it in spoilers but 
how it gets to where it gets mm-hmm. makes no goddamn sense. No, I mean like the one character begins behaving a certain way yes. because yeah. something needs to happen, and it's like what? Where? Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll we won't spend a ton of time in spoilers because we're doing a pretty good job of talking about these without spoiling stuff. Yeah, um, but there's a few things that we could probably address. Yeah, um, and then the second segment is called the medium. This one's direct. Did, were these all written and? Directed by Cundiff and Scott? I think so. I think so, too. But yeah, they alternated. Um, so they uh, alternated. Directed. Yeah. So in the first movie, it was all Rusty Cundiff um, directed, and then the pair of them both wrote them. Um, the Medium is about um, a group of uh, of guys who are trying to steal a pimp's nest egg. Um, it's like $5 million dollars. They want to uh, just, yeah, just basically they just want to rob him. And then um, they they tie him up. They hold him hostage. The guy wants to turn or the guy basically has turned the corner and he is using the money for like foundations for economic progress. Um, And then they accidentally kill him. So they don't know where the money is. Then that's told in parallel with a fake uh, medium who has kind of like a talk show that does uh i don't know paranormal type of seance stuff right and the two meet because luckily they're in the same town <laughs> i guess i mean like the guy has a television show the three guys see the show they decide to somehow they find out where he lives they go to his house they force him to channel the um the guy with the money the the guy with the five million dollars and then mayhem ensues (laughs) so this segment is the one that we mentioned where it's like what is the social commentary of this one which is a problem because if you have two movies and every other segment has some element of social commentary and this one and you know one segment doesn't it sticks out like a sore thumb that would be forgiven if it were any good and it is not good. No, it's not. A, I was looking up that actor's name. Yeah. It's not on the IMDb. So come on, Tales right? I don't know. Too. Uh, everybody else is, but yeah. he doesn't appear so to be. Weird. Um, yeah, it would be fine if, like, okay, this one departs from the whole notion of each of these has to have social commentary. But hey, it's entertaining, so yeah. that's fine. Mm-hmm. But no, like, yeah. it doesn't have a real structure to it it doesn't have a twist it doesn't have yeah exactly what you think it will happen happens yeah and you just it's just a what you just wait it out right it's yeah. very strange yeah <laughs> very strange i, I mean and somehow uh, not the worst of the four segments <laughs> uh no i guess not the next one we're gonna call the worst right yeah 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 um yeah i think the guy playing the psychic he's an actor on Mad Men, but yes. i don't know what I don't. I never saw him. He was, I think, Sal, the character who was fired for being gay. Okay, Um, he's given it his all. I'll give him that. Yeah, but I don't think it's funny. It's a comedic. It's a broad comedic performance that's not funny. And um, yeah, there's a lot of just stupid (sighs) shit in this segment. One of which is. For no reason, they show House on Haunted Hill showing on the oh, television. Public domain. But, one, it makes you just want to watch House right, on yes, Haunted absolutely. Hill. And 99. two, they leave it on while they're doing the seance, <laughs> which is really weird. 
Yeah, um, again, you know, it's the filmmakers being like, oh, we're paying up. This is that kind of movie, too. It's, yeah. it's fun and silly, but like, no. This is the segment where I realize that there's not apples to apples comparisons, like amongst the segments where you're like, this is the the fourth one from right, the first right, movie. Right, right. But throughout the movie, there's like little Easter egg type things. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, oh, okay, these three guys are the three guys in the funeral home. Right, like, right, there's right. lots of like one to ones yeah. if you look at it in that way. And after that, it kind of became more like a scavenger hunt for me, <laughs> which was good because it gave me something to do. It like actively distracted me from how disappointed I was while I was watching it. Again, now I find myself wishing it had just completely departed yeah. and gone the way that we were talking about yeah. and not try to draw so many parallels. I spent a lot of the movie. Once I got through roughly the first segment and mm-hmm. was like, okay, I think I know what I'm in for, Yeah, I spent most of the movie trying to decide if I liked it more or less than Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. Where'd you fall on it? I might like it less. <laughs> like, that makes me want to watch Hood of Horror. I don't remember bit. it being good at all, yeah. but I do remember it maybe doing a little bit better with the social commentary okay. and feeling at least a little more like a movie yeah. than this. And again, I, you know, it's out of their hands a little bit. Like yeah. I, I don't hold these guys fully responsible. When I see executive produced by Spike Lee as a credit, I'm like, no, that didn't happen. Right. Like what? He, right. No, he has, he has never seen this. And I guess that's my true disappointment with the movie yeah. is like, yes, the budget is super low and yeah. yes, it kind of looks like garbage, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, um, But I wish that to compensate, they had written some really good segments yeah. and you could overlook the shortcomings because mm-hmm. you, you could say like, oh, but yeah, these are clever and I see what they're doing and there's yeah. an interesting idea or just like a lot of anger. Even even mm. an angry movie yeah. would have been something. Yeah. These, these guys would be so good at, like, doing a documentary where they kind of just express, like, a Michael Moore-type documentary where right. they express right. their opinions on, on these things, like an op-ed, like a, a visual op-ed. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, and they did such a great job of, like, putting it in a genre framework yes. before yes. that I don't know what happened like it's it can't just be the money it's got to be like who really made this or does rusty cundiff and darren scott 2018 oh 1995 versions an apology <laughs> like what right. ha- like it feels like completely different people made this movie compared to the one that came out in 1995 yeah i would agree with that they seem to have sat down and written out like a few buzzwords yeah trump Black Lives Matter, like, yeah. because that those words are spoken before yeah. the first segment. Yeah, but that segment is not about Black Lives Matter, not at all, even a little bit. No, not at all. You could yeah. do a whole segment that's kind of about Black Lives Matter. Yeah, this but movie... instead they don't. They do a thing about Tinder. Yeah, for a movie that's about, <laughs> you know, like the African American experience, ostensibly, like it's feels like real fox news ish <laughs> like this feels yeah. like a real fox news hood of horror yeah um yeah it's like a real sandpaper hand job of a movie <laughs> like i wrote down two alter because when i said i want to pretend like it this mo- tales from the hood doesn't have a sequel i came up with a couple of alternate titles so, for this movie for this movie all right i'm, I'm okay. excited tales from the hood fallen kingdom okay 
Untitled 2018 Anthology Project. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay. Then we'll just go with Untitled. <laughs> so the third segment is <laughs> called Date Night. Darren Scott has obviously never seen Amateur Night from VHS because it's the same Or thing. anything ever. <laughs> or anything ever. It's like 10 minutes long. And telegraphed from minute one. And it has a Cards Against Humanity sequence that is maybe longer than the chili eating sequence of <laughs> Curse of Chucky. It, they are actually uh, like... Like, well, I, I was talking to Rob about the movie Little Italy, and I'm just like, it's so cute that they're treating Starbucks with a sense of discovery. <laughs> like, this is treating Cards Against Humanity like they just heard about it, and they're like, right. they're the early adopters. It's like, trust me, guys, we know about Cards Against Humanity. And I, it would require spoilers, but this segment to me was the most egregious example of a character. Like, we know what's going on. We yeah. understand the quote-unquote metaphor yeah and yet two characters say what's going on and then the other two say here's exactly what's going on and here's what the metaphor is i'll i'll mention it specifically in spoilers but it's in a, for a movie that's already pretty on the nose mm -hmm. that's this was fucking unbelievable yeah how just bald-faced it is and again there's no racial commentary no there could conceivably be some social commentary that's relevant in there's one that's very relevant for current events that right. Are right absolutely right yeah. um but why is it in this movie why is why this is something that so easily could have been cut yes um at the script stage it didn't like, need like say this you, is when you toss out the, all right so the original movie runs like 95 minutes this one runs 110 this segment is maybe 15 minutes yeah. boom i did your work for you yes. like you could have just cut this all together definitely yeah it is not good at all. It is one of the worst anthology segments that they could have put in a movie. <laughs> I want to just quickly point out, too, that the editing throughout this movie is very bad. Mm -hmm. Where, like, it will sometimes cut in the middle of a shot to, like, 15 degrees to the left of the same angle. <laughs> so it feels like a jump cut, but it's okay. not supposed to be a jump cut. It's yeah. just, like... We want to use this part of the take and this part of another take. So, I don't know. We'll just cut in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it was very distracting because, yeah. again, I budget I understand, but you can't uh, – technical incompetence is harder to abide by. And I know that they're not technically incompetent filmmakers. Yeah, I've seen Tales from the Hood. Mm -hmm. I've seen Fear of a Black Hat. Yep. I've seen Sprung? No. Yeah. Well, he sprung? did Sprung. Yeah. He did Sprung. Okay. Yeah. I've seen Sprung. Yep. I don't love Sprung. Mm -hmm. It's not technically incompetent. I mean, I w say what you will about, you know, Chappelle's show, like Dave Chappelle being like the driving force. Yeah, right. It's great comedy directing. Right. And Rusty Cundiff did most of those episodes. Yep. Um, To be of a piece with this movie, on my drive over here, a bird shit on my car. <laughs> like, while I was in the car and I heard, it's like the Robo Patriot jumped on my car. Like, it was loud. Robo Patriot. Like, if you have a dollar fifty to make your movie, yeah. don't make so much of it depend on a robot. That's a hard special effect. Yeah. 
don't write a robot in your movie that you have a dollar fifty to spend. Yes, I forgot to mention that we had talked about doing this mm-hmm. uh, when we first found out that it was coming out in October. We're like, oh, cool! We'll we do- were very excited. It'll be out in time yeah. for Scary Movie yeah. Month. We'll do a podcast on it. Yeah. And we had a contingency plan. Mm-hmm. Adam thought of another movie that we could do in case this came out and was the movie that it is. <laughs> yeah. However, um, we released our commentary the other day. Yeah. I have a, a show planned for next week, but I was like, but I don't want to go 10 days without a podcast in Scary Movie Month when we usually do a lot of extra podcasts. That's why you're a mensch. I want to have a show, you know, yeah. for a second show for this week. Yeah. So I texted Adam. I was like, is there any way you can watch Tales from the Hood 2 today and do the podcast? He said, absolutely. So then I had to procure Tales from the Hood 2. <laughs> I could have rented it digitally, but as we were saying before we press record, my concern was I would really like it mm-hmm. and then I would want to buy it. So now I spent $6 to rent it and another 12 or 13 to buy it. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to eliminate the middleman and just buy it. However, mm-hmm. it's very hard to find physical media. Mm-hmm. Best Buy doesn't exist. Target doesn't exist. I'm looking online for places that have it in stock because I have to buy it same day. Walmart is going to have this movie in stock. So I drive to Walmart today on my lunch break and it's not out. And there's a man there and he's got a bunch of boxes of movies. And Mm -hmm. I said, this says you have it in stock. Can you tell me where it is? And he says, I don't know. It might be in one of these boxes. You'll have to wait till I put it out. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't have that kind of time. I get in my car. I drive to another Walmart. Same situation. No movies on the shelves. Bunch of boxes. I go to them. I say, can you tell me where this is? I'm playing dumb again because I'm acting like I didn't just have this experience. Can you tell me where this is? They opened. They started opening boxes and going through boxes. And they, Here's Tales from the Hood 2. Here you go. They have two copies. Mm-hmm. They said, you only want one of them? I was like, what if I was the guy that bought <laughs> both their copies of Tales from the Hood 2 yeah. before it could even go on shelves? Yeah. So it was a lot of work to buy this movie, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just bought it on Amazon Digital. <laughs> I, re- or so I rented much it. Easier. I rented it. I didn't buy it. Think about like all the time you saved, the money you saved, and yeah. now it's not taking up shelf, shelf space in your life. But I'll never have that memory of the in-store experience. That's true. Going it. to multiple Walmarts to buy Tales from the Hood 2 day of. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, fuck this movie's bad. Um, the, so we get to the last segment. The last segment I want to talk to you about because there's a lot of strands in this segment. Yeah, and I don't know what they're trying to say in the by the end of it. I don't really either. There's an interesting idea about this is the Twilight Zone segment, 100, yeah. percent and it's the longest. It's mm-hmm. pretty long. It's like it's like 40, 30, 35 minutes. Is it really? Yeah. I would have said like 45. Yeah. Um, Again, I, there's certain things that I just didn't fully understand. Um, there, some some characters show up, and in case you don't know who they are, they flat out say like, "Oh, you're the four little girls." <laughs> like that's a line of dialogue yeah. in this movie. Um, I like the idea of some of these people who sacrificed their lives, you mm-hmm. know, during the civil rights movement, um, where it's like. Hey, w- why did we have to die just to be like a little learning lesson for you? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um and I think that's sort of where it's getting at. The the area that I had trouble with it where at first I was like this is by far the most interesting segment even if it's not yes. successful. Yes. It's, it's the most thoughtful. It's the most thoughtful, it's the most interesting. It's got the 
it, it's the the one that's closest to the the hardcore convert section and of, it, the, of the first movie and it's the one that comes closest to feeling like a movie yeah i think if all of them had been of this quality and i'm just talking about like mm. production design yeah. production value mm. scope yeah i think we would not be so hard on you know some of the budgetary restrictions because yeah. this one feels like a, it feels like a low budget movie but it feels like a movie mm-hmm. okay so i had a weird moment while i was watching this movie where after the first three segments, I was just like, this is not good. Yeah, yeah. I'm done with this movie. This is yeah. like a disaster. Yeah. Then I watched this segment. I'm like, okay, this movie saves it. This segment saves it from being an outright disaster. Yes. Agreed. Then <laughs> I was like, fuck, I need to rewatch this whole movie. What? I watched it twice today. <laughs> wow. I watched it at like This 10 beats 30- my two Walmarts. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it at like 1030 in the morning. And then I watched it. Like at two in the afternoon, it was like, and I had soup in between. Um, it was like, I the first you've mentioned it before. The first time you see the movie that you want to yeah, see, yeah. and like I just couldn't get over the disappointment. Yeah, and yeah. then the second time, I'm like, okay, I know what this is. Let me just like see right. this. And a lot of it got worse, hmm. especially. And th- this segment got worse for me in the okay. second okay. viewing because I think it really says some inadvertently shitty things okay um i think that we might need to get into spoilers to talk about it more but uh it's got some of it as it goes on shifted from like oh this it feels like a twilight zone episode to this feels like one of those like fathom events religious movies yeah Okay. Yes. And yes. There's some of that. And then, <laughs> Absolutely. And then also there's certain things. I'm surprised like, John Corbett didn't show up. I'm glad that it, he didn't show up because then I would have had to watch it three times before coming. Tim here. McGraw. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's get into spoilers with Kevin that one. Sorbo. Yeah. But the 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 story with this one is basically um oh we didn't mention what the story was with date night it's basically like two guys find girls guys on, on tinder, tinder and then like, try to drug them they try to drug to them. take advantage of them yeah okay and then, guess how that goes yeah <laughs> and then this one is um it's basically like the guy in the corbin burnson segment right. who was uh, a black man who working for a guy who was a racist conservative um in this one it's the same thing right um, but this guy, this time that guy, the, um, the black man is the main character. He's got a wife who's white, who is pregnant. She's losing the baby. She has a history of miscarriages. And then there's a supernatural reason why she's losing the baby. And it's a way of warning him, um, of the error in his ways, um, with things like restricting voting rights for for uh, the black community and just sort of who he's representing and what it means to the people who made sacrifices within the mm-hmm. civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much like the most supernatural Amblin-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not... It's not like mean spirited supernatural, I guess. No, it's the one it's where like it's like soft. It's soft. It's like the one where kick the can. It's the most. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's basically it. So kick the can, but with racism. Yeah, like if everyone in kick the can hated Scatman Crothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, should we start with spoilers just for this one? 
Or yeah, and then we'll work back and talk. Yeah. No, we'll, okay. we'll 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 keep talking about this one, and then we'll okay. work back and talk spoilers for a few other ones. But um, yeah, spoilers for Tales from the Hood two coming up. Feel free to continue listening if you're not going to see it. Yeah, or if you are, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> It'll help you. You'll know what you're in for. Please go back and watch the original Tales from the Hood. Yes, it's great and unique and uh, very much of its time, while also kind of timeless. It's my favorite anthology movie. And it's one of my favorite horror movies yeah. ever. Yeah. And now we're talking about its sequel. <laughs> it, this would be like if... I know you didn't see Creepshow 3, but it would be like if Creepshow 3 was the follow-up to Creepshow. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, that's how far the drop-off is. Creepshow was, 2 cushioned the fall. <laughs> it was, was like, oh, say, on the way down, I hit the branch of Creepshow 2. So I was prepared for what I hit on the ground with Creepshow 3. This movie has no buffer. Mm-hmm. It's just straight out of the tree onto the ground. I was going to say, this is like if a chef brought you your favorite meal. Yeah. And then he accidentally dropped it Punched into a... in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then he accidentally dropped it into a, like, coin water fountain. Right. And then you picked it up and you're like, well, it's still my favorite meal. Let me get past all these pennies and water. But then you bite into it (laughs) and you realize it's a Blu-ray of Tales from the Hood 2. Yeah, yeah. Um, So spoilers for this segment. So spoilers for this segment. So um, they cross-cut what is going on in present day with um, Emmett Till's abduction and murder. Yeah. And Emmett Till comes back as a ghost to warn the man in the present day about maybe I shouldn't have uh, maybe I should have apologized maybe I should have not stood up for myself maybe I should have done whatever I could to prevent my eventual murder um, because you are doing nothing with the sacrifice that I made and the, the segment's called The Sacrifice Where I Keith David does not say that to the camera <laughs> No, I call this one The yeah. Sacrifice yeah that's um, not a good Keith David, by the way. It's okay. It's okay. So where I had trouble with this one a lot is, especially in the second viewing, is there's... I don't like that they turn civil rights... Um, I, I don't want to use the word icons because that seems disingenuous. But like people who are very important yeah, to yeah. the civil rights movement, yes. I don't like that they turn them into vengeful ghosts okay. that could exact punishment sure. on people. Okay. Because I don't get where the so the guy says, okay, I'll I'll give up everything that I'm doing, and they said that that's not enough of a sacrifice. You need to basically go back in time and stand in for me to have like a passion experience of feeling what it felt like for Emmett Till to die, and then he's dead, and then he goes off into the distance like field of dreams with Emmett Till and leaves his pregnant wife and his mother. But he gets to say goodbye to them as a ghost first. Yeah, like like Sam Wheat. Yeah, like Sam Wheat. No dittos. They didn't let him. (laughs) But not everybody can see him at first. So what do they have to do before they can see him? I don't know. Because like his mother can't see him right away. No, but then there's also stuff where like the rubber reality of like the 60s comes in where it's some right. of them can see it but some of them can't right and then the mother gets hit in the face and it's just like and and slowly throughout the segment his wife is becoming a horrible racist yeah um which i thought was interesting again there's too many ideas in this segment yeah. 
I thought that in and of itself, I mean, again, it goes back to Vic Morrow in, uh, in Twilight Zone, the mm-hmm. movie, but I thought that in and of itself was kind of an interesting idea for a segment that this black man is married to this white woman and everything's great and they're in love. And then all yeah. of a sudden one day it's like, oh no, what, you know, the people that I love have completely turned on me. And, and I thought that could have been something, but it's like yeah. one piece of a weird puzzle. I feel like the punishment that they gave him at the end was too much. It was way too severe. And um, he seemed repentant. Like he wanted to to change his ways. And he would be more valuable as somebody who changed their mind and spoke about it than as a ghost who can't speak about it. Right. Um, And like I said, I think the big problem is just like the fact that it puts the viewer in a very weird place where it's like, if you're identifying with this lead character, then he's like rooting for like Emmett Till's death again. Right. To like have things go back to the way they were. <laughs> right. But at the same time, it's like, well, he could stop it. Emmett Till's death like... is the kiss at the enchantment under the sea dance. <laughs> it's, I, I, it puts you in such a yeah. weird position as yeah. a viewer. And. Yeah. Where it ends up is, I don't think, justifies the means to get there. Sure. Um, so I feel like Rusty Cundiff might have had a clearer idea in his head than he, what he put on video. Yeah, video, yeah definitely video. <laughs> yeah. But again, this is a segment that I think means well. Also, it's like Emmett Till wants to kill your baby unless you fix voting. Right. It's like, <laughs> why are you doing this to Emmett Till's memory? It's also... Uh, I agree with everything you're saying, but it is one example of a character in one of these segments who dies, whose death is a sacrifice mm-hmm. and not um, like a Tales from the Crypt, just desserts kind of a thing, you yeah. know? Um, and that's kind of different, I guess. I'm not saying it's yeah. good, but... Uh, yeah, like we said, I mean, it's the most interesting story in the movie. Um, right, right. Yeah. And then the spoiler for the date night one is that the girls are vampires. I mean, who saw that coming? <laughs> they open their mouths and they have fangs? Funnily enough, there's a scene at the beginning with the two guys in the car. Mm-hmm. Where one of the guys opens his mouth and mm-hmm. either he has the sharpest tooth mm-hmm. or he has a fang. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene later where they show the two girls reveal as a vampire and they mm-hmm. hiss. And one of the girls has fangs and the other one hit, just has normal teeth. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm not a stickler for things like that, but that's kind of something a little weird. And so this is the segment where it's like, in case you don't get it, the two guys go, what What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And one of the vampires says, we're just like you. We're predators hunting for prey on the internet. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I, okay, yeah. I get it. That's what these guys are because they find women on Tinder and they drug them and they rape them, which mm-hmm. is inexcusable. And I'm fine with them getting their comeuppance and yeah. being killed. But, like, mm-hmm. could we do it in just a remotely thoughtful way? And they're dispatched the same way as Corbin Burnson and Tales from the Hood, except with cannibal zombies. Right. Which came of, from where? Instead of vampires, like the least interesting thing these girls could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Zero again. Yeah. Racial commentary. Not that there has to be. No. But like, no. again, there's like a social aspect to it, a social commentary that's relevant for 2018. I, want, I mean, and also like, I wonder if maybe it was intentional just to make it, maybe we're primed just because Tales from the Hood is 
predominantly about like yeah black culture and like adjacent to black culture but in this case like there's a lot of like in the first segment and the third segment there's white characters and black characters all doing despicable things so maybe Mm -hmm. it's like less maybe they're trying to make it less race centric i guess i I guess yeah again i just i think i don't probably not though because i mean like all the robo patriot shit oh boy we didn't even get to the yeah we'll get to the the end yeah Um, i have a lot that i wrote yeah i mean i i i kind of wish that again they had recontextualized some of this yeah because tales from the hood the conceit is essentially like we're telling these stories to this you know quote-unquote black audience these Mm -hmm. three guys um, we're telling stories of you know what happens in the community to these uh, black guys. Like, look what could happen. Yeah. Um, and I just think had they stepped outside of that for this one, and they try to because he's talking to Trump, but it's like the stories he's telling don't have any relevance to mm-hmm. Trump really. And so I keep going back to like, what if he was talking to these two millennials? In the museum. Yeah. And then I think you buy yourself license to back off of some of the racism and you can talk about stuff like internet dating mm-hmm. uh if that's what you want to do yeah i'm not i'm not sure why your title is tales from the hood but okay yeah there's not much like because in the first movie you're just like that title makes sense i don't right. even think about it twice but in right. this you're just like oh that's just the oh, brand oh no one says that anymore yeah. like that's not a thing yeah uh, one, yeah. of, one of my favorite parts is in between the third and fourth story. When I say favorite parts, I mean least favorite parts. <laughs> uh, in between the third and fourth story, Keith David just basically goes, do we have time for another tale? Yes. <laughs> He's like, I yeah. didn't say the other titles, but do we have time for a fourth? And, and, uh, yeah. I just can't get my head around like, hey, we're going to drive you out here to tell stories to our robot. Yeah. That's what the <laughs> that's what the wraparound is. Can we just Skype? Three gang members a robot. wander into this off-the-beaten-path funeral parlor mm-hmm. where they meet the funeral director, and he's this weird guy who tells them these scary cautionary tales. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the funeral director is driven to an airplane hangar to tell stories to a robot. That's Tales from the Hood, too. Yeah, and then he drives off at the end in like his Escalade. Ooh. Or something. Sims doesn't drive. He's the devil. Just you can't just do the same beats anyway. Yeah. Um. So and then the spoiler for the second segment. It's basically just the there isn't one. Yeah, there really isn't one. It just plays out exactly as you think. Yeah. Like the psychic gets possessed by the person that he's channeling, and that's it. And 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 reveal right. He reveals things that like he couldn't have known. Yeah. Unless he was really possessed by all these different people. Yeah. But. None of that is interesting. No. None of it speaks to like, oh, these guys were keeping secrets from each other. Um, there's none of it. It's no. just like, but yeah. it, it, it's nothing. Yep. It's nothing. Yep. And then he like, what, electrocutes the guy at the end? Yeah. The He's last like, guy. you like power. How about 500 volts? And it's like, there is nothing satisfying about that. No. There's nothing satisfying about any death in this movie. <laughs> no. There's like one where... He's just like, 
do you know what my favorite group is? It's the spinners. And then the guy's head spins around. It's like, what if it was Earth, Wind, and Fire? Would something, Better movie. Yeah, would something more dramatic happen? Better movie. It's like, it was Earth, Wind, and Fire, but we don't have any money. So just like, right? the spinners. The CG glass that he makes the guy eat. Oh, good for him. <laughs> um, and then uh, the first segment, oh uh, the, uh, the doll that the white woman wants comes to life but it's just a guy in a party city costume it's, it's human size yeah it's, it's a human it ceases si- to be a doll and yeah. becomes he becomes human gigantic size. i think the one amusing part is that it changes expressions <laughs> that's about the only funny thing in this whole movie um he kills the friend and the girl's brother and then uh the, and the girl's brother's death is pretty gnarly yeah that's the goriest one. yeah that's like the one that looks like a real movie and that's almost. the closest yeah. to being satisfying because you have this guy who's kind of an ignorant racist piece of shit yeah. being whipped yeah and like, he's making here's what it was really like and before that he was like teasing his girlfriend with like a whip at right. a whipping post right so it's just like it's his just desserts exactly yeah um and then out of nowhere the white woman decides that her uh nostalgic affection for this doll was always sexual and then, well first of all yeah she very quickly accepts that it is now human size yeah. and and has come to life yeah she's not thrown by that at all no. it's like hey here you are yeah. let's fuck yeah and then they fuck and then the end of the scene is the museum owner all of a sudden turns into a crazy person he's clarence williams he's from clarence the end of the tales end. from the hood yeah and he um puts clear tarp up all over the museum so that this woman can give birth to hundreds of these dolls but like now they're doll sized again and then the guy turns to the doll and then just really kind of quickly states another thesis or Mm -hmm. something like that about the movie about um perpetuating the stereotype of black men with white women and things like that and it's oh and he says something about like white women and babies yeah like is that a what are we talking about I don't know. <laughs> we, and then there's a moment yeah. where she loves the babies yeah and she's fine she's mm-hmm. like laughing and smiling and holding the baby and i love you little baby yeah and then in the next shot she's dead yeah yeah there's a, there's some things like <laughs> I'm confused and I'm not saying like everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but there's certain things like that Rusty Cundiff is doing in the first segment and the fourth segment where I'm wondering if he's completely against interracial relationships hmm. and I don't want to put that on him, but right. it's obvious enough to me in these stories that he's maybe conflicted about them in some way. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think you can't be as, you know, all or nothing about stuff like sure. that. Like, they're just, uh, it's, uh, you, granted, you might have women like this white woman in the first segment who are just awful. Right. But there's a lot of people who aren't, who are right. in interracial relationships. The majority of them are not bad people. They just are in love. Right. And I feel like when you kind of have a thesis that isn't specific just to this one woman at the end of your first segment, it it's uncomfortable in the same way that the Emmett Till stuff is uncomfortable. Right. It's like you maybe could have used another time passing through this, thinking through the messages that you might not be trying to get out that mm-hmm. do come out of it. Well, and there's some weird stuff going on in that first segment too, because it suggests that this girl is awful. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm not even positive it's that she's awful because she is willfully racist. Yeah. Um, because it, it has more to do with like her just not even considering the impact of some of this stuff, mm-hmm. not taking seriously the horrors of slavery or of hundreds of years of racism and just yeah. being like, what? No, that's history. That's it's it's I'm co-opting it for my nostalgia. But it doesn't necessarily say that she's like that because she's white, because mm-hmm. she has a black friend who is very much the same way. Yeah. So it has more to do with like their age and their inexperience and their lack of education and their lack of empathy. There's all these things that it's saying about millennials. These these people reminded me a lot of, and it's weird because like this, it should have been more the character in the fourth segment with this kind of POV. Mm-hmm. But they're Kanye West. They're like people who just don't get it. Right. Right. And I feel comfortable enough to say that he doesn't <laughs> get it. I'm. It's not a no. matter of opinion. He does not have empathy for the things that he says. And sometimes he dresses up like a giant uh, Thank God I didn't bottle of uh, mineral water. I or... saw him in concert twice. And I regret, Did you really? And I, I just like Tales from the Hood too. I regret <laughs> that twice also. Um, we were as we were as Erica and I were watching his performance where he's dressed as like a bottle of spring water and singing a song that I was forgetting as he was singing it. Yeah. We were just lifting off like remember this song, remember this song, remember yeah. this song. Like they were all good. Yeah, and it's like no, his he's, first two albums are really good. No, he's a bottle of spring water. Yeah, preaching about Trump. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so um, we get to the end, <laughs> the wraparound. Yeah. And it's essentially like, again, the Ed 209 thing from the beginning of RoboCop, mm-hmm. where, okay, here's Robo Patriot, yeah. a terrible special effect, mm-hmm. terrible design. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to bring him out on stage. He's going to scan the crowd mm-hmm. for threats. And he identifies one threat, and it's dumbass bitch, mm-hmm. Dumas Beach. Yeah. And he proceeds to try to kill dumbass bitch and his sycophant aides. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, again, wholly unsatisfying yeah. because he's just shooting red and blue lasers mm-hmm. that are a bad special effect. And then they hit the person and then the person makes a surprised face and falls. They don't explode. They don't They don't set on fire. Like nothing yeah. happens to them where you're like, haha, fuck you. Good. Um, it no, is yeah. just, it is a nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, in between these segments too, I've, I don't want to forget, they have like these weird like Lawnmower Man virtuosity things. Oh yeah, they like sure do. Where they show like, oh, this is technology loading. Right. Yeah. And each time it says that the, you know, the story has been. Yeah, I forget the phrasing, but like uploaded or uploaded yeah. to Patriot Bot Robo Patriot. I know. But. Yeah, and then um, Dumbass Beach is running away from yeah. Robo Patriot. Yeah, Sim shows up in his SUV. Yeah, and says, "Hop on in. Uh-huh. We'll get out of here." Uh huh. And then they drive <laughs> off, and this is like the reveal in the first one where the three mm-hmm. guys are in beat coffins. for beats. Um, so dumbass beach is really dead and he's in the coffin in the back of the, of the car. And then every line basically of note from this first movies coda is repeated. 
but with CGI fire and party city devil horns and yeah, minus like the, I mean, we make fun of the CG tongue in the original, but yeah. like, Oh, that, that shit's all fun. No, that, and that's, movie. and that's all fun and yeah. cool. Like the reveal there. And there's a context for saying like, no, you guys are dead because we learn they were killed earlier in the night in you like know. a drive by. Yes. Yeah. Why? Or not a drive by. It was, um, guys came out of the house and shot them. Okay. Right. Like yeah. So, so we've, we've been given clues that like, okay, these guys are dead the whole time. Yeah. Why is dumbass bitch dead ever? Yeah. Why is he in the back of this car? What, what have we been doing? Yeah. I, I mean, I know that like, I don't need that level of detail or realism, mm-hmm. but it's a simple thing that your first movie managed to tie up that this movie doesn't even try. It's like, oh, he's dead because they were dead in the first one. So, yeah. so he's dead too. Yeah. And then, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking of this on the fly, so okay. I might not be really thinking about it enough. But um, I feel like the three guys in the first movie, it's like before it's too late. Dot dot dot. Right. With this guy, he's pretty old. Right. He's set in his ways. Right. Um. Because I and I'm thinking of that maybe because. Uh, I know Rusty Cundiff has said that, especially with the last segment of the first movie, he said that um, guys who were in gangs have come up to him and said, I stopped being in a gang because I saw the end of Tales from the Hood, and I realized that I'm doing the work of the white supremacists, and I changed my ways. And again, that's why that movie works, because it's like sort of this cautionary tale, and Mm -hmm. there's a point to it all. Yeah. And who you're not... you're not going to get a Trumper watching this movie changing right. their mind about anything. Nor does the movie actually try to do that. Yeah. Because it's not really Trumpers throughout. It's just sort of in the wraparound segment. Yeah. And it's not even about like, okay, Trumper, now you reap what you sow. Yeah. It's just, well, you have the same fate as these three gangbangers. Which, again, I keep going back to, and I hate to rewrite this movie, but, again, had it been the museum... Talking to the millennials, mm-hmm. 100% it becomes before it's too late. Yeah. You need to appreciate mm-hmm. the black experience in this country and you need yeah. to understand the history of racism. You need to remove all sense of irony about that. Right. This. And yeah. right, not co opt it for whatever purpose yeah. you want. Yeah. Then it becomes a cautionary tale and you have to reframe what some of these segments are. I mean, you have to basically rebuild the movie from the ground up, but yeah. that's a movie. Yeah. And yeah. this isn't. No, it's not. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, he says, welcome to hell. It turns into <laughs> hellfire. There's, like, House of the Dead yeah. video game people. Yeah, that's that's the big difference Peach, from the original. Who pulled Dumbass Beach out of the car. to see some little hell minions. Yeah. Did you watch through the end credits? No. Um, so is there's, there, is there a, wacky... there's a Skeletor Masters of the Universe moment. Oh, snap. With Keith David standing there mm-hmm. um, with, the fire, with the fire behind him. Yeah. And he says, and I quote, now that was some shit. And I'm like, are you talking about the movie? <laughs> well, the shit keeps getting repeated. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, there's one part at the end where he's just like, the shit, the doo-doo, the poopity poop. <laughs> like, anytime. 
Yeah. They say the shit. He turns into Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, for where sure. It's like, the secret the word. Shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Niagara Falls. Yeah. Slowly I turn. <laughs> um, in the end credits, there is a song called Welcome to Hell, This is a Tale. Okay. It is performed by Russ T. And written by him. And if you listen closely, it's definitely Rusty Cummings. Oh, dear. Yeah. He, he cameos also he, as a reporter. He his <laughs> movie. Um, yeah, he cameos as a reporter. It's almost funny. It's like comparatively <laughs> with the right. rest of the movie, you're just right. like, oh, I like Rusty Cundiv. Yeah. Um, I like the animated opening credits with the Christopher Young sure. music. Sure. It's now no match for the the skull with the cigarette and sunglasses right. from the first one but i feel like christopher young was the only one who was just like oh are we trying on this one <laughs> uh there's a moment there's a montage near the end also that just shows you a lot of stuff they showed in the movie yeah and then it starts opening up to some stuff they didn't show you in the movie yeah and it's like like prisons and, yeah, yeah and for a minute it's like okay mm-hmm. you're you're I see what you're attempting, and I admire the attempt. Yeah. Is it successful? No, not necessarily. And by then, it's a case of too little, too late, for sure. Yeah. But every once in a while, Mm. you get this glimpse of, oh, it could have been this. This movie feels like... I turned on MSNBC from 7 to 9.30 and then Fox News from 9.30 to 12 (laughs) and then dozed off while watching it. That's what it feels like. It's a really not fun experience to watch twice in one Oh, I can't imagine Um, watching it twice in one Yeah, the tonal shifts in this movie are a nightmare. Yeah. Like you've got the Emmett Till segment that is very... um, serious yeah and then you have the finale which is the most ridiculous thing you could possibly have ended right you have robots shooting lasers and cgi fire and keith david the devil and it's weird because in the in the third in the fourth segment rather yeah you're using actual historical figures yeah in your story as part of the narrative and then in the wraparound you're using a proxy mm-hmm. who I would say is like a gross exaggeration of a real person, which is at odds with um, mm-hmm. using the real people in the fourth segment. Yeah. But he's actually not a gross exaggeration, really, because no. that's where we're at now. Yeah. And so it just becomes a game of sort of one to one. How many things is he going to say or do that are just direct references to what we're actually living through yeah. again i just given the climate right now given mm. what is happening i really thought it makes sense to bring back tales from the hood right now yes and uh this was not the one that i wanted them to bring back no no it is not <laughs> um i will say thank you for forcing this podcast because <laughs> Without it, it would have been how you described your first experiencing Halloween 2007, where it kept you up all night. Right. If I didn't have this way of talking through it with someone, I would have been just thinking about it all evening. And now I feel like I've, I had my Tales from the Hood 2 day. Yeah. And I can leave it in the You've, past. We've decompressed. Yeah. We've talked our way through it. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween, uh, better movie. You mean the... 2007. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say like 1978. Also a better movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to listen. Oh. Hot take. I'm going to put it out there. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Halloween 2007 has a very interesting first half. Yeah. Yeah. Even the second half is at least competent. Yeah. Even if it's just recycled. Um, this is like uh, so. This would be like if they made Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. and then 20 years later made Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, right? Oh, for sure. Because again, all the other Jurassic, in much the same way as Creepshow too, yeah. all the Jurassic Park sequels prepared you yeah. for the for bottoming out in Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. But had they just gone from one to the other, it's very much the experience of going from Tales from the Hood to Tales from the Hood 2. This wasn't like a complete shock to me though, because I think you and I agree, like once we saw the first trailer, we yeah. were like prepared for what this was going to be. And I remember the trailer was 30 seconds and it's mm-hmm. not because they're saving the good stuff. <laughs> it's because this is about all they have to sell this. Yeah. And again, just knowing what the climate of independent film is right now, we know that like, Oh, they're going to have to scrape and claw this together, even if it's good. Yeah. And so there's going to be a little bit of that. And, mm-hmm. uh, they scraped and clawed something that was yeah, not very good. Um, good news. Yeah. Jocelyn Donahue got cast in Doctor Sleep. I heard about that. I'm no, about that. Joss D. Yeah, Alex Esso. Both. You're kidding me. They're both in it. Well, Alex Esso is going to be the Wendy Torrance. Role. Yes. I don't know who Joss D. is playing, but she got cast today. Joss D. is in a commercial that I keep showing. Which that, one? I, that I keep showing that I keep seeing. Yeah. Uh, maybe is it the Affleck Insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. One of our listeners. Uh, sent that to me on Facebook <laughs> and I was like, final girl insurance. <laughs> I really like it. Um, do you feel like they put Alex Esso and Josty in a movie just for the two of us? I hope so. Um, <laughs> dibs on that podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah. And also next, next October house of the devil. Okay. What if they make house of the devil two? They won't make it that but quickly. For like 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Keith David as Joss D. <laughs> no, he would be the Tom Noonan part. Who would be Joss D? Uh, Let's see. Joss D would be played I by... Don't know. I don't know. Oh, Tara Reid. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. She'd be like, I got a babysitting job, guys. So I don't know why she turned into Kelly Joel Minter. But... She sounds like uh, yeah. Lindsay Lohan from Robot Chicken. Did you see the Lindsay Lohan thing from over the weekend? Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, pretty whatever, fuck her. But like, also, yeah. it's just sad. Yeah, like, um, she's not had it easy. Okay. Uh, maybe to close us out, unless yep. you got something. Nope. The, um I've noticed something that's kind of spooky, scary. Nope, I like spooky, scary. It's scary me. movie month. It's happening to me. Yeah. Are you familiar with the concept of the movie The Number 23? I mean, yeah, sort okay, of. That he sees the number 23 everywhere? Yes. I have that with 525. Interesting. Every day, for whatever reason, yeah. without me trying, I am looking at a clock or my phone or something with when it's 525 p.m. What do you think it means? I don't know, but my birthday is May 25th. Okay. So That's I think, interesting. So I think, I don't know what it is, so I googled 525 curse... 525 whatever Mm -hmm. there's nothing okay i don't know what to think what if we okay five plus two plus five is 12 Mm -hmm. number 12 have any have any significance no 52 and 5 is 57 does the number 57 have any uh significance no shit there goes all of my uh smart theories if you're a ghost out there yeah 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 Show up like the fourth segment of Tales from the Hood 2 and explain what is happening to me. 
But yeah, I thought that was just something kind of spooky scary for Scary Movie Month. Please keep us posted on how that shakes out yeah. through the rest of the month, Gab. Constant updates. I will. About I will. Uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Happy Scary Movie Month. Please continue to participate in the Scary Movie Challenge. We enjoy reading your uh, seven-word reviews, and we'll continue to read them on the podcast all month long. Mm -hmm. We'll be back soon with another show. We do a lot of extra shows this month, so I don't know what it'll be or when it will be, but keep listening to F This Movie. It's the best month of the year. The shit. That was dumbass.